0: out here we might as well bop with it amen Amen. good to see everybody y'all glad to be in church this morning come on if you're glad to be in church just make a little bit more noise for jesus so good to see each and every one of you real quick before i jump into the message i just want to echo that video we do want you to come out to that live recording how many of you are blessed by the worship here at victory you're blessed by the worship here at victory We are blessed because we have four physical campuses and on that particular day, we're going to be able to come together so that the sound of what's coming out of Victory will be able to go out, be captured, and really impact the world. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, I don't want to be there by myself, so when we're there, let's make some noise for Jesus. Let's be there and let Midtown show up and show out. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, again, I'm glad you're here today and we're going to be continuing today in our series, Trust Fund. Somebody say, "trust Trust Fund. Say it one more time. Say, Trust Fund. This is week three, and we're taking five weeks to talk about what it means and what it looks like to deal with money and to deal with finance God's way. Because how many of you know you can deal with money, but you can do it your way? But God desires for us to understand what it looks like to carry his money, to do what we need to do with that, resources, with that resource his way. And so if you're new around here, um, we are dealing with this because what we know is that as we explore this, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for the full part of this year. But today, as we continue to dig into this, I'm excited to let you know that I'm going to be sharing something today that I believe, not only as it pertains to money, but I believe holistically, it's one of the most important revelations I've ever received from the Lord. And so I want you to really have your listening ear today. I want you to have your your heart open. I often say it, lean in. I want you to lean in before I say lean in, because God is going to speak to all of us. But I also want to be honest about something. I've said this many times before, but when we start to talk about this subject, when we start to deal with money, I need you to know that even as a pastor, even as a preacher, even someone who lives this life out really in the things of God, this is still an area that I have to be intentional about being disciplined in. This is an area that just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean it comes easy because we are all tempted to slip. We're all tempted to go back. We're all tempted to be those who lean into the desires of the world more than sometimes the things of God. And so as you're listening today, I want to first start this by saying this. This is not a message to get you to do something. This message is really to get you to trust someone. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And I really believe if we can get this message today and get the essence of what I'll be speaking about, that your life, literally, something can radically change in your life. Does somebody want your life to be changed in a place today? Amen. Amen. I got a couple people that say I'm good by myself. Well, listen, as we're in this, I want to celebrate something before I get deep into the message. A lot of times when you hear people talk about finances in church, you're always kind of beating people up and, you know, we don't give and people don't do it and uh, operating obedience to God but I want to let you know that you are not that church. As you look around society and you kind of take inventory of what happens when it comes to church, the stats would say nationally that in most churches, the average church probably has about 15% of the people who attend on a regular basis who give regularly of their tithes and of their offering. And a lot of times people are happy that that's happening because that's showing some engagement. But I got news for you. Victory Church, especially here at Victory Midtown, that average is astronomically bigger. We have about 65 to 70 percent of all of us here that are actively engaged, actively giving, actively participating and showing that you're putting your money where your mouth is. And so, again, I know you just clap, but clap for yourself one more time because we need to know that that's a great thing that we're doing. Why did I bring light to that? Because as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if we can say that that's a stat that we can celebrate, that means that you're operating in a level of maturity that's beyond trying to beg and plead someone to do what the word says. And so as I'm speaking today, I want to speak from a place of knowing that the majority of you in here are already in agreement with doing what God says. We just might need to be reminded today about some things because there is a temptation to pull us away. And so everything you need to know is found in Matthew 5 through 7 when it pertains to the guide of how we need to live our lives. And so, again, if you're new here, that's why we've been spending time in a Sermon on the Mount, because it's been said that it's Jesus' most powerful, most impacted sermon, and we want to continue to follow that. Now, as we talk about radical change today, right after Jesus started to teach people how to pray, you know we spent several weeks about prayer uh, right before this series started. Right after he started talking to them about prayer, he shifted gears and dealt with something that he knew was going to ruffle a few feathers. He shifted gears from talking about our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, to let me tell you about money. Back then and even today, people sometimes have this line of demarcation when it comes to putting your money where your mouth is because the rubber really meets the road when you say, okay, now I have to follow my heart with my actions. And so as he starts to talk about money in Matthew six nineteen, Jesus addresses two conflicting realities. He talks about the fact that you could either, either have temporal eyes, meaning you can think about things temporarily, those things that are focused just here on the earth, the here and now. Or you can have a heavenly view, which you would have an eternal view, which means that you are going to make sure that your resources and things you do are all pointed in the direction of God's will for your life. And so as he talks about this conflict that we're still dealing with today in the world and even in the body of Christ, the reality is that he said that we must make a decision. Somebody say a decision. decision. We must make a decision of what role money is going to play in our lives. See, we're not here to demonize money. We're here to kind of put it in the right place to see what role it's supposed to play in our lives. And so when we choose to live our lives in light of the eternal, God is able to bless that, and he is teaching us this thing because everything about money, usually that we learn about, is taught from the world's perspective. And so that's why we're spending this time going through it. And so I want to highlight something, and this is in your notes. I want to make this statement. This is going to kind of set us up for the whole day. But this statement is this. What we do with money and how we use it it affects the very core of who we're becoming. Let me say it one more time. What we do with money and how we use it affects the very core of who we're becoming. Now, last week, I talked about uh, Matthew 6, through 23, where Jesus tells us that we all fit in one of two categories. We are either people who have good eyes, which means that we're open to the things of the Spirit. We're spiritually awake. We're trying to see who we can bless around us. Or we have bad eyes, meaning we're stingy. We have the Scrooge mentality. We're thinking from a place of lack instead of a place of abundance. And so as I talked about this, I shared from Acts 3 that Peter and John at the gate called beautiful, they did something that we're also charged to do, and that is to when we see needs around us, we need to make sure we're not turning a blind eye, but that we pause, that we look, and we act. Say this with me. We need need to pause, Pause. look, look, and act. When we do that, we're able to fill the world with generosity in a place that's lacking things that we have the answer to. I talked about last week that this camera riser here, as we're looking to be general, generous people, this camera riser that's right here in the middle, and you look around, it's very packed in here, it's taking up about 55 spaces for seats, which means that's 55 souls that don't have the opportunity to come in here and have the experience with God in a community of faith and grow in the things of the Lord. At any given Sunday, we have 50 to 80 people sitting in the overflow. Some of you were blessed to come in from the overflow today and sit in the sanctuary. We thank God for that. But at the end of the service, I said, can we pause? Can we look? And can we act? I told you that we also took 4,000 square feet next door so we can continue to expand what God is doing so we can stop turning away families with small children. Because we had last month 80 children give their lives to Christ, and we want to make sure we continue that momentum so that they can be washed in the Word. And as I shared that at the end, I took an ask. And I said, hey, we need about $80,000 to finish a new system and an infrastructure to put different cameras here and a system here. And we can also open up and build out that space next door. And I have good news to report to you today. What's the good news? The good news news is we not only met our goal, but we exceeded our goal. And now we're able to continue to perpetuate the wisdom of God, the strength of God, the experience of God. You ought to give God a little bit more praise than that, because I'm not talking about any little small change. I didn't have to beg you. I didn't have to prod. I put the mission of God in front of you. You said, I want to be about my father's business. Come on, give God praise one more time, one more time in the place. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, each and every one of you who gave. And what I'm excited about is again didn't have to beg didn't have to come back and make several appeals we were able to say at one time and in one sunday be able to come together and do that and i have even better news we've already ordered the equipment it's already here you got to strike the iron while it's hot around here and so we're hoping and praying that by the new year we will even see this opened up and we'll be able to do even more for the kingdom so one more time give god praise Listen, the reason I celebrate that not is just to kind of say something or just to feel time. I'm saying that because you are an owner of the mission. You're getting the revelation where you're saying, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I want to make sure that I'm not selfish, but I'm selfless so other people can experience God. And so as we do this, this makes a mark in my mind, and I hope in yours, that you are about your father's business, that you are on mission. And so this is important to note because just like you're here today, as we're celebrating this and as we're continuing to learn and be transformed in the renewing of our minds, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he was directly addressing people who were also wanting to become followers of him, who also wanted their lives to be upgraded, who also wanted to live the abundant life that he promised and have their eternity secured. And the reason why that's important is because when we're having a conversation like this, we're speaking from from a place where all of us are on the same page, trying to go in the same direction, to give God his glory. And so today, what I directly want to deal with is this thing that hangs so many people up that in Jesus' day and here today, many people unknowingly are actually enslaved by a spirit that I believe I'm on assignment today to, to kill, steal, and move out of our way so that we can make sure we're not bound by it. Does anybody want to be free from that spirit today? I know you don't know what it is, but do you want to be free anyway? Here it is. Let's read our focus scripture for today. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we're starting there from the New King James Version. I want us to read this together on three. It's on the screens. Let's read it. One, two, three. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. By show of hands, who's heard that scripture before? A lot of us have heard that scripture before, but I want to read it in a different translation because it's going to bring to light even more of what God is really trying to tell us because if we're not careful, we'll see this in a very limited and myopic view. So I want to read it from the Amplified Version. This is one of my favorite scriptures, uh, verses or passages or translations of scripture because I believe God is really trying to pull some things out. The Amplified Version says it like this. I'll read it for us. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, meaning money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. The reason I wanted to read that is because so many times when you hear this, even in some translations in the Bible, it says, well, you cannot serve God and money. And people automatically limit this understanding to talking about money. That's not wrong, but it's a limited, restricted, full understanding of what the scripture is actually saying. If you see in the Amplified, it says money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. And so I want you to write this down. As Pastor David said earlier, I'm imploring you to take notes today because this is something that can be a game changer in your life, in all of our lives, if we can get it. Watch this. Mammon represents the desire to pursue wealth as a primary purpose or goal in life over the pursuit of God and his purposes in your life. I want to read it again. It's the desire to pursue wealth as a primary purpose. Somebody say primary purpose. Or a goal in life that in your pursuit of God and his purposes for your life. The word mammon comes from an Aramaic word that essentially means deceitful riches. Deceitful riches or whatever is valued more than the Lord. The reason I'm slowing down and kind of taking note there is because it's important for us to understand the full counsel of what's being said there, because if we're not careful, we'll start to demonize the successful accumulation of money. We'll start to demonize if people are doing well in life. Let me make this real real. Some of us will say, well, you know, I I don't want to wear that outfit to church because then they're going to know I'm holding something. Or some of you pull up on the scene and say, I'm going, this Sunday, I'm going to drive the other car. Because what happens is a lot of times people are looking at people, counting their money, counting their dollars, and immediately associating, associating if you're successful, if you have money, surely you can't have the heart of God. But what I know and what was frustrating about me, even as I came out of college and started to go after certain things, I said, I want to go after the things of God, but I also want to be successful in the things that God presents to me. And what I believe is that we have to make sure that we balance these statements, because if not, this is the reason why some people who have the gift of actually making money and the gift of being successful, they stay away from the church because of judgment. Because money and the accumulation of it has been demonized, has been talked about, or targeted and abused. And so today, I need to make it very clear that when we're talking about money, we'll say things like, you know, they were real cool, they were real humble until they got that extra job. (laughs) You know those people that you even work with, you say, we used to have lunch together, but when they got promoted to the C-suite, now we're all here in this cafeteria, they're up there in the box. We have to be able to say, God is not a respecter of persons. He wants you to prosper, but he wants to make sure that in your way of prospering, you keep first things first. And so let me say this very clearly. Money in itself is not evil. Let me say that very clearly. Money in itself is not evil. Repeat this after me. Say money Money in itself itself is not evil. evil. It It is neutral. What do I mean by that? Depending on the influence, the hands, the guiding and directing that the money is in, is whether it's going to be good or evil. Let me make it plain like this. Everybody knows what a knife is, right? How many of us in here have seen or heard of the show Top Shelf? How many remember the old scary movies, the old Jason movies? Keep that in your mind. A knife is just a knife. A knife is just a tool, but a knife in the hands of Salt Bay <laughs> is totally different of the expectation that would happen if that same knife is in the hand of Jason. Uh-huh. <laughs> but what we do is we demonize a tool that's really depending on the person's hands that it has that's going to move it in the direction that needs to be used in. And so what I want us to get right now is to understand that money is not evil. Stop calling money evil. Stop saying the love of, money is the, rule of all, or, or money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And we have to be those who say, I'm going to take money, not call it evil, but say, God, you gave this to me as a tool. God, you presented this to me to make sure I'm able to use it for your prosperity, for your purposes, to move forth your vision in the earth. And I will be a person that wills this in the right way. But when we understand that, what we're able to do is we're able to take the mystique out. Because Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. So let's explore this a little bit. Mammon has its roots in Babylonian history. It's essentially meaning this, write this down, sown in confusion, sown in confusion. And the big idea behind the word mammon, is it started right back in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Let me read it for us. It says, and they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Many of us maybe have heard of the Tower of Babel, and this Tower of Babel was in Babylon that we now know as Iraq. But here, what happened is we had a people who began to conceive and believe the idea, watch this, that they could reach heaven on their own. They believed that they could do it on their own, that they didn't need God, that they could kind of accumulate things and make sure that they were actually filling their particular view of heaven right there in their own lives. They wanted to be equal to God. And God is a person who says, I'm never going to be equal to anybody. You have to make sure you know, worship the Lord your God. And so as we look at this, out of this time came a worship of many gods. And one of the main gods that came out of there was the God of Mammon. And this God of Mammon, people looked at this God and started to worship him in the pursuit of riches and pleasure on earth. Now, this is what I need us to know. Satan, he had a stronghold. He used this God of mammon to actually control the Babylonian empire, and it's still having effects even today. So I want to be clear about something. Mammon is a spirit that wants you to elevate the accumulation of wealth, riches, status, and trust, and worship it, worship those things as your source, more than you worship the God under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Y'all following with me? So when we understand this, we're able to take this in and put things in a proper perspective. I need you to write this statement down. Hear it first. The spirit of mammon says this. We don't need God if I have money. I don't need God as long as I have money. Can I bring it closer to home? How many of us have time and time again, or one time in our lives, we started to be successful. We started to do well, where before we would go to the church and be at every service. We would be at the the Sunday service. We would be at the Saturday morning corporate prayer. We would be at the pre-service prayer. We would be at the small group because we're saying, God, I need you. God, I have my dependence on you. But what happens is that subtly, sometimes this spirit of mammon can kind of creep in so that Before, when we used to deal with and depend on the Prince of Peace, now we actually can pay for a full version of peace. What am I saying? You can send yourself to the spa. You can go get the manicure, pedicure. You can go get the day of rest, the self-care day. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we will actually mix that up with the peace that only God can give. Instead of understanding that I will never let the accumulation of things be something that drives me, I will always depend on the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so my question is to you, have you been influenced recently by the spirit of mammon? Are your decisions being guided by the spirit of mammon or the spirit of our Lord? And so I want to say this one more time. I want to be so clear that now that we have understanding that mammon is not just money, but it's a spirit that is ruled in money that sometimes is pushing something in a negative connotation. Hear this statement. What God is saying to us right now is that there is a spirit or an influence behind money called mammon that if we need to break free from that, and if we're able to break free from it, God can totally revolutionize our lives. God can make sure that we're not bound by this thing and driven by it, and that's why we're spending five weeks on it. Because depending on who has the money in their hand is how it's going to be directed. And we have two choices. The money can have an influence of the spirit of mammon or the spirit of God. And I want you to hear this. Money that is submitted to God and his purposes has God's spirit on it, meaning it is blessed, it multiplies, it has eternal value, and it can never be devoured. Let me say it again. It is blessed, it multiplies, it has eternal value, and can never be devoured. But money that is not submitted to God is under the influence of mammon, and that's accompanied by fear, greed, selfishness, covetousness, materialism, and what happens with that? You'll always be in lack. Because when you're chasing something that's never meant to be your source, you'll never find what you're looking for in it. But when we open ourselves up to God, the spirit of mammon is looking for servants. This is the God that we're talking about. This is the spirit that's talk- that we're talking about. This is the same way that we're supposed to serve and love God, mammon wants you to serve it. Because mammon seeks for you to build your life and to make your decisions based on the accumulation or the lack of things in the earth. But mammon, it promises security, success, identity, independence, power, freedom. But each and every time, what does it deliver? Poverty, fear, and bondage. And so I want to say this because, again, I'm being very sober in this message because I believe if we can get this, this has been a taboo subject for some people because what's happened is that we're enslaved with something that's actually operating in the background. But if we get free from this, we will be those who don't operate in the fear of lack. And a sign that you might have mammon as an influence in your life is that every time the economy makes a shift, you start to feel like you make a shift. That every time something dries up, you feel like your whole life is dried up. I was sharing with the 9 o'clock service that this morning uh, I was working out, and and one of the young ladies who's in the gym most Sunday mornings when I'm working out, she's into real estate, and we were talking. She looked at me, she said, "Uh, Mo, you've been kind of intense lately. I said, well, I'm in here to work. I'm not here to talk. But what I asked her, I said, how are you doing? She said, you know, I'm doing okay. You know, the market, the market is down. And you can see her whole countenance just down. And as I was looking at her, I was just thinking about even this message today. It's like, how many times is our emotional state driven by what the market is doing, by what the boss says is going to happen? They start to say, we're going to make layoffs. You immediately have a stress anxiety disorder. Because what happens is we're so dependent on what the world brings to us instead of saying, my faith and my trust is not in my boss. My faith and my trust is not in the stock market. My faith and my trust is not in what will happen in the market. My trust is in the Lord. Somebody say, my trust is in the Lord. Lord. Because what we need to grab is that common things that the spirit of mammon is affecting are these. Listen to this. You might not even know it. But what it does, it directs the governments of the nations of the world. It drives and directs politics and elections. It controls the lives of others through fear and loss. It controls major issues in marriages and families. They say one of the major issues in marriages is communication and finances. It creates division between economic classes. You're better on this side and I'm worse on this side. It takes people, watch this, out of the will of God and gets them to trade a life of purpose for a life following mammon. I said this several weeks ago, but the devil has no problem promoting you out of purpose. And what we have to be careful of is that everything that's good, that looks like a good opportunity, is not necessarily a God opportunity. But if we don't have clear vision and we're so caught up with what looks like success, we'll continually be caught up with the spirit of mammon. And so I asked this question last week and, and I want to state it again. Many of us that would say that Jesus is our savior, we have to know that just because he's our savior does not mean he's actually actively operating as our Lord. Because your Lord is one who directs you, who has influence on your life. And so in that, we have to be very careful to put things in a proper priority. And so the reality that many people would say, if we ask this question, are you influenced by mammon? Even with grudgingly and under compulsion, we would lift our hands and say, some of my life might be. So how do we break free? Do y'all want to know how you break free? Let's see how we break free. A couple quick things. Number one, you have to begin to view your life in light of eternity. You have to begin to view your life in light of eternity. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Take a moment and really interrogate ourselves and say, how do I think about money? Do I think about money in a temporary state, meaning that it's for the here and now, Or do I have an eternal view on money, which means I'm going to do things that are actually pushing me forward towards my calling and my purpose in God? I want you to hear this statement and write it down for your notes because you need to grab it. One of Mammon's objectives is to crowd out your life in the priorities of God by filling your life with the priorities of the world. One of Mammon's objectives is to say, hey, I want you to be so focused on the things you have to go after to make your living and to make your life that you don't even have space to consider what God is saying to you. Because when we do that, we are missing the mark. And Mammon, what it does, it wants you to focus on the American dream. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Getting a nice house. You know, having the family that's picturesque. You know, having a nice car, living on this side of of the tracks or living on this side of town. But how many of you know God never ordained for us to live after the American dream? He desires for us to live after the kingdom dream, which means that we are to rule, subdue, and have dominion. And so many of us, what we do is that we will settle for living the American dream. And God is saying, I have plans to you to walk in supernatural influence, but you have settled for superficial God's saying you have settled for superficial things that will burn up and rot away. Things that if you leave it and it could be stolen one day here and gone tomorrow. But as we really look at this, we will put things in a right priority. And so once you surrender to Christ, you are no longer to actually live your life influenced by what the world says is important. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 2 that we need to start shifting our mind. It says this. Set your minds. Say set Set. your minds. minds. It says set your minds on things above, not on things that are on this earth. I need to pause for the cause and tell you something very personal right now. I sometimes have a hard time listening to preachers today. Why? Because sometimes 80 to 85% of their messages are talking about haters, 80% 80% of the messages are talking about what somebody's looking at me doing or comparing myself to somebody else. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time to be consumed with what somebody else thinks about me. Yes. The only one that I'm actually looking for to have for approval is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But what happens in this world system is so comparative. In this world system, you are influenced to try to do what somebody else is doing and try to meet their needs and to try to meet their approval. But when you have your eyes on God, you are shifting your mind and you are setting your mind on things above. Romans 12, verse 2, another familiar verse of scripture, but in reading in the Amplified, it tells us some secrets. It says this, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. So that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, watch this, in his plan and purpose for you. We have to be careful about that. Because many times we have plans that are totally opposite of what God's plans are. We've made some decisions, and then we ask God to bless it. And he's saying, stop doing that. Focus on godly values and ethical attitudes. Because the spirit of mammon is equal to the spirit of the natural world. And what God is saying is, I want you to elevate your mind, elevate your spirit, to understand that I do have supernatural for you, and I don't want you to settle for the superficial. Amen? Amen. First John chapter 2. This scripture right here, I said I had to read it to you because it's given so many bars. It says this in verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but every, anyone who does what pleases God will lead, live forever. Can I ask you another question? Are the decisions we're making as a people, are the decisions we're making as it pertains to our finances, are they actually adding value to your eternal purpose? Are there some, are there, is there something that's just going to be fleeting, or are you able to confidently say, God, I'm doing this, and I know I'm in your will? Because the temptation is to be like the world and say, hey, you only live once. YOLO! <laughs> that's common, and what will happen is if we're not careful, we'll start to believe the hype. But if you are a believer, if you are saved, if you are sanctified, if you are redeemed, you don't only live once. You will live again in eternity. But what will happen is if you're not careful, you will put all your energy into this temporary life that you're not moving towards the purposes of God, which is an eternal life. And so we have to open our eyes and be careful not to be deceived by these lies. Number two, how to break the spirit of mammon. We have to maximize the use of money for the purposes of God. Here's a statement I want you to write down. Money is a tool to be used by God's children to help execute his purposes. I'm going to say it again. Money, it is a tool to be used by God's children to execute his purposes. A very real example of this is that we often have to ask ourselves and determine, when is enough enough? Am I still just buying stuff because I have the ability to buy it, or do I have a heavenly perspective on it? I want to let you all into my life and be very, very honest with you. Uh, Many of you know I love playing golf. And, you know, there was a season that I had to say, okay, if I'm going to play golf, I can't let the fashions fall off on the golf course. (laughs) I got to make sure that wherever I go, I'm representing on both sides. And so there was a season. I'm not going to let you know how long that season was, but there was a season (laughs) of when every time a new pair of nice golf shoes came out, I had to say yes. There's a guy even that goes to the church, it's like he has high priority on the app, and he'll hit me up and say, you want these? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But I remember at one point where I had to start to think about, okay, Mo, you can only wear so many pairs of shoes at one time. And furthermore, what started to happen is that boxes would start coming to the house and my wife would see them. (laughs) And you know, you get this question, she'll ask me, are those new? And because I'm wise, I'll be like, depends on what you consider new. Or you know how we do, before they get home, we go get it and we put it in the closet. And if you see me on IG, those look a little different. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. I got to the point where I had to ask myself the question, are you being controlled by this insatiable nature of needing more? Or do you have the discipline to make sure that you are reserving your resources so that God's will can be established and that your finances can be pointed with him? Because many of us, we don't exercise discipline because we are continuing to feed into what the world says is you have to have more. And so my question to us in a very interrogative fashion is this, what things and what spending habits have I justified that actually may be influenced by the spirit of mammon? See, that's something we don't really want to think about. We're like, God, you blessed me, so I should be able to get it. Yes, he blessed you, but you have to make sure that your priorities are in the right place. Because you can just fall into this little subtle thing of kind of going after more, more, more. And God is saying, hey, I'm trying to see if I can trust you with more. But you're showing me some signs right now. James Frick says it like this. He says, don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what they are. 1 Timothy says it like this in chapter 6, verse 17, and he's giving us some lessons. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let me just pause right there. The reason I'm bringing this up is because if we're not careful, again, I'm not demonizing possessions. I like having nice things. God says, I want you to have things you enjoy as long as it's not at the expense of my purpose for you. He goes on to say, tell them to use their money to do good, and that they they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I told you I was going to give you a lot of questions today to interrogate yourself. Here's another one. Have you spent on you? what God has earmarked for you to share with others? Have you spent on you what God has actually reserved for you to be able to be a blessing to other people? Because Winston Churchill says it like this. He says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And so one of the most fruitful things we can do is to be conduits, to be rivers of blessing so that God continues to allow us to be agents of change for his glory. Last one I want to give you today how to break the spirit of mammon, number three, is that we have to be those who operate in faithfulness regardless of the amount. We have to operate in faithfulness regardless of the amount. Now, I remember several years ago, it's probably almost 20 years ago now, where as I was working at my former church, uh, grew up in New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, worked there for several years. And I remember a bishop came in, Bishop Tudor Bismarck. And he came in, and I highly respect him for his mind and how he speaks the word of God. And he called me out of the crowd in that particular moment and gave me a word. And the word was this. He said, Mo, the Lord is saying that he can trust you with money. Now, in that moment, I'm going to be honest with you. When he was saying that, I was like, yes, Lord, bring it. You you can trust me, Lord. If you want to use anybody, you can use me. And in that moment, I'm sitting there opening myself up saying, okay, when is the check going to drop? I need this supernatural direct deposit. I'm looking for it to come. God, you can trust me with money. The, pe- the preacher said, you can do it, bring it. <laughs> and the thing is, I have been blessed. I have been fortunate to see God moving my life in the area of finances. But as I was working on this message, the Lord subtly nudged me and said, "Mo." I wasn't really talking to you about just getting the accumulation of things and getting the accumulation of money. What I was really saying is that I can trust how you think about money. I can trust how you're going to steward money. And lo and behold, the Lord knew before I knew that years later, I would be standing and speaking to hundreds and thousands of people now sharing how I think about money as a good steward and not being one who abuses money. And so when God says he can trust you with money, what he is saying is that will you be one that I can give you certain things and you will make sure you bring back what is mine? Because at the age of 15, I remember I committed to tithing when I had my first lawn care job. I was making about $200 every two weeks. Now, that was a lot of money back then for me. (laughs) But in that moment, I took the principle and said, God, what you're really doing is you're giving me spiritual muscle memory right now. That if I can start to tithe, if I can start to be faithful, if I I can start to steward money correctly now, when I get more money, it won't be hard. Now, some of us who are just starting on this journey, you might be making a lot of money. You're like, how much do I need to give to God? You're saying, say, what? You know what I can do with that? And God is saying, I know what you can do with it, but it's, it's pales in comparison to what I can do with it. And so for me, I started, I was tithing when I was making $6. But I also have tithed when I made six figures. And so if you cannot have that condition and making sure that God is doing what he's doing, what you'll do is you'll always get sidetracked and you'll look at how much you're giving away instead of understanding that this is a trust statement with God. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says it like this. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much and much. Can I make this very clear statement today? God does not need your money. Let me say it for this side of the room. God does not need your money. When we tithe and when he's telling us and giving us this command, he's actually trying to say, can I trust you? This is actually more of a statement about our trust in God bigger than what we can trust in ourselves. And so as we navigate through this, let's open ourselves up to say, God, how I handle money now will dictate how you're able to bless through me later. And what I'm really saying is, God, I put you first. Say this with me. Say, God, God I, put I put you first. Come on, say it like you really mean it. Say, God, God I, put you first. I put you first. Because watch this. Mammon's goal is to enslave us in fear. It's to enslave us by materialism. It's to enslave us in debt. It's to enslave us in always trying to get more so that we can pay ourselves out of a hole that we decided to get in. And so as I read this last scripture, I want you to hear this because this is a scripture that many people read and they talk about, but I want want you to hear it from a very personal place that I've lived this out. Malachi chapter three, verse eight. Many of you have heard the scripture before, but hear it with new spiritual ears today. The Bible says this in verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. He's talking about the local church, the local assembly. He said, bring all, not 2%, not 5%, not 7%. Tithe is 10% of your overall income before taxes. Amen? Amen? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord. I want to pause right there. This is the only place in Scripture that you can clearly see God saying, try me. Saying, I'm so confident in what I will do in your life that I want you to try me. Trust me. You might think you're losing something, but try me. Why? He said that there may be food in the house and try me in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. Underline this part if you can. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I'm walking through this slow because I want this to live for you. I'm so confident in this word, and I have so much reckless confidence in God. That when something happens in my life and and I lose something of note or or, or I lose some money, I'm so confident, I say, God, I'm a tither. And you said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. And so my wife knows it very clearly. I've lost some things that are valuable. And I don't get worried. I don't start sweating. I say, God's going to bring it back to me. Either I'm going to find it. He's going to give it to me at a deal. Somebody's going to bless me with it. Just last week, I found something I thought I lost. And I said, thank you, Jesus, I'm a tither. Now, I might need to slow down and just stop losing stuff. But the principle is here. You can have confidence in God, rebuking and the devourer for your sake. And one of the reasons why I believe that this is such a contentious area sometimes is that the devil is strategic. And he knows if he can create confusion in you believing the word of God like this, he knows he's a devourer. And if you're not aligned with God, he will continue to try to devour things in your life. Let me go on. It says, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, most people, when they read that scripture, they kind of stop right there. But I want us to go to verse 16 and really tell us something about ourselves. It says this, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I make them my jewels. He's talking about us. And I will spare them as a man spares his own own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. What he's simply saying right here is there's a line of demarcation. You're making a decision with how you actually trust God, with your money or not, to say, I'm with you, God, or I'm not with you, God. And I know many people would say, ah, oh, it's not that serious. No, he's saying right here, I will now see between the righteous and the wicked. The one who serves me and the one who doesn't serve And so I just want to wrap this up with this statement. I've said it a few times today. God does not need your money. He wants your heart. He wants to know that you're going to utilize the resources that he brings through your hands for his glory. And he wants us to be able to say, God, you can have my heart. And so you cannot serve God in mammon. And I believe I'm in a house right now that you've already received this truth. But we furthermore need to walk in this truth and understand that we can break this spirit right here and right now. And so I want to ask for you to bow your heads for a moment. As I've been ministering this message, I know there's a lot of different thoughts about it. There's a lot of things that sometimes we fight with. But just for a moment, in your personal space right there, have a moment with God and ask him to search your heart about where money is as a priority in your heart. We're going to take a moment for him to minister to you so that we can be free from. oh you can have my heart you can have my heart oh Father, right now we take a moment and we say we surrender to you. There are some of us in the room that we've never had you as a priority in our lives, let alone putting our money towards you as a priority. And Father, we know, as I've said many times today, that it's not really about the amounts of money and having money even of itself, it's about where do we point our hearts? What do we treasure? And so, Father, right now, I'm praying that we surrender our hearts, our minds, and our spirit and everything about us to the full counsel of who you say you are in our lives. I'm praying right now that the stronghold of lack, the stronghold of the spirit of mammon, that some of us have operated in, that today, here and now, we draw a line in the sand and say, I will no longer be controlled by mammon. I will no longer be controlled by allowing fear of loss to drive me. But right now, God... Just as you bless my body, you bless my mind, bless my heart. Free me up so I can actually be fully pleasing to you. We trust you, Lord. We bless you. And say, God, you can have our hearts. And with our heads bowed right now, there are some people in here that the same way that our treasure and our money reflects where our heart is. For some of us, we've never made a decision to accept Jesus and give full surrender to him. And if you're in here right now with our heads bowed and you're saying, I can't even start to surrender my money because I haven't surrendered my heart. But you know you want to live an eternal life with God after this present life. And that you also want to live in the abundance of the blessing of what he provides for you in this life. If that's you in here and you want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, can you just throw your hand up real quick? I want to pray with you. I see the hands all over the room. I see you. Let's pray this prayer all together right now. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today, I make a decision to repent, to turn away from my way of doing things, to turn towards your way of doing things. Jesus, you can have my heart. I declare that you're my Savior And you are my Lord. And from this day forward, I will live for you. And I will speak about you in the goodness of your name. I am a child of God. And I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together right now for those who just gave their lives to Christ? Come on, we can do better than that. That's a little patty tape. We can do better than that. Can you put your hand together for yourself, that you're not going to be operating in the spirit of mammon, that you're going to continue to trust God? Come on, that got a little quiet. Can we clap it up and declare that God, who the Son has set free, is free indeed in Jesus' name. God bless you, victory.